You're listening to the New World Order, episode 27 of season 13 for day 181 of 2019. Hey everybody, I'm still on the move, still going down to the South Island. I'm actually on the South Island. I've been living now for a week on the South Island in a little flat that I'm renting. And it's beautiful here. It's in a region called Otago. And it gets quite cold here, actually, which is which is nice. It didn't get very cold on the North Island, so that was one of the, the features that I was looking for. That said, since I've only been here for a week, my stuff isn't actually here yet. I had some things sent down with a moving company, and they have not arrived yet. So I'm sitting in a mostly empty flat now on the South Island, rather cold, learning how to build fires. Yeah, there's no central heating in, really, New Zealand, as far as I know. And so one of the features of the little cottage that I'm renting is that there's a wood-burning stove. Now, you might think that wood-burning stove is just a fancy term for fireplace, but actually it's different. It's a unique thing, and uh, you, you kind of build fires in a unique way for it as well. You don't, you don't go bottom-up, you go top-down. It's, it's kind of interesting, and, and I won't go into it here because that's really sort of beside the point. But part of the point is that I'm still just on my work computer. I don't have all my stuff here. It's a little bit um, difficult to record sort of what I would think of as a standard podcast in the in the trajectory that we were going for a while. Hopefully next week I'll be back on track with Util Linux. This week, however, I have some some other topics that I want to cover which are not Util Linux, but it's just as interesting, I hope. So uh, let's get started. There's some feedback here from uh, Dave Morris, who you may know from Hacker Public Radio. Now his feedback is concerning an, an application that I have not yet tried. So I, I kind of, in, in one way, I want to skip the feedback, but in the other way I know that if I don't cover the feedback now, I will lose track of it, and then we'll never hear what he had to say. So what I'll do is I'll cover the feedback here now, and then later, when I try the, the tool that he refers to in his email, I will, um, I will just maybe reference this email as the, the way that I found out about the, the tool. He says, here it is, some interesting feedback about metadata. I very much agree with your correspondent, Scott, I think it was, who was commenting on the lack of good tags on audio files and the need to be able to organize them in a player. I ended up taking the venerable Bash Potter, which was uh, originally by Link from the Linux Link Tech Show, if I recall correctly. Uh, he says, I, I ended up taking the venerable Bash Potter as my podcast downloader around 2006-2007 and modified it a lot. I keep information about podcasts in a database, in fact, storing their tags and details in the feed. I was frustrated by how many episodes had no usable tags and went looking for a way to add or modify them. In the end, I wrote scripts to do this. I called, uh, I wrote one called fix underscore tags, which is in Perl, and uses the tag lib library. I can use it to show and change tags from the command line. It's in use in the HPR workflow. I also wrote another Perl script, tag underscore manager, that works through my podcasts by feed and runs rules against them. The rules use regular expressions to do things like check whether a tag is blank and fill it in. It might do this by taking the track number from the file name or from the title, for example, and plugging it into the track number tag. The script has access to the feed details from the database and can get a title from there, for example, if necessary, and add it to the tags. I run it every day against the podcasts downloaded overnight, and it does a satisfactory job. My rules file is weird and clunky, though, and not easy to maintain. Yeah, I, I would imagine. That's me, Klaatu, saying that. Um, he said he continues to say, as to podcast ordering, I use Rockbox on my players, and I can write my own playlist for this, so I have absolute control over the order things are played in. Even if there are no track numbers, some podcast feeds do this, I can ensure things are in a sensible order by checking the dates from the feeds. Well, that's a really good point. That's Klaatu again, saying that's a really good point. Yeah, date would be sort of the, the ultimate presumably, I guess unless someone reposted something. No one does that, though. The feed itself, for podcasts anyway, would be the correct order. That is an interesting point. I never thought of that. Anyway, he says, 
the fix tags script is on GitHub, soon to be GitLab. Uh, uh, tag manager script is not public since it's so specific to my personal Baroque podcast setup. I'm a big, actually, big fan of Baroque music. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, that's just kidding. So, but I am a big fan of Baroque music. Uh, installing fix underscore tags is not simple though. So at the moment, there's a file fix underscore tags dot bin, which is an encapsulated binary version that can run standalone, which I can only assume uh, is Dave Morris's attempt to trick me into downloading and running something on my system uh, so that he can say that he hacked Klaatu. Uh, the address he gives is github.com slash davmo slash fix underscore tags. Sorry about the length of this. Feel free to ignore or edit as you see fit. I ignored none of it. I edited none of it. Very interesting email. The workflow is, let's say, interesting. Um, and and you, can, you can take interesting to be a euphemism for whatever you want it to be. It, it is kind of cool. I mean, the fact that Dave is organized enough and sort of together enough and, I guess, stationary enough um, in his routine that he's, which is not meant <laughs> as, a, as an insult, um, that he can have his computer sort of download and process things for him like that. that that's really cool. I would love to sort of get a a routine going like that. And maybe I will eventually. Maybe that'll be something that I can actually rely upon and say, okay, well, overnight my computer's going to download these things, and I will have my my mobile plugged into the computer, so, and then it'll be transferred over to the mobile, you know, some 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 system like that. It would just be kind of neat. Although that said, I, I have none of the problems that his workflow is solving, like the tagging and stuff. I, I basically, I, I really very much to this day, I very much am a, well, I used to be very manual. Like, I would go to the, my feeds, or I would go to a website and download the episode that I wanted to hear for a day, and, and that was my workflow, and that was not sustainable as I as I found out, although years, years later. So eventually I did kind of switch over to sort of automated, like, okay, here's a feed, download some stuff for me, and I'll I'll listen to what I want. And recently, I guess because everything is on the mobile these days, um, work the work mobile, the um, the the podcasting application AntennaPod, I think it is, uh, download you know allows me to download stuff sort of really quickly and and easily because all the feeds are there and you can just go there and download the latest episode again manually. I I don't have anything automated for for the podcasting stuff. Um, and, and part of that is because it's kind of, I, I go through uh, binges, you know, f- through phases. I decide, well, I, this, this show is really fantastic. I'm going to listen to every episode of that. And I will listen to like 10, 12, 20 episodes of something. And then I'll realize that that's enough. And then I'll switch over to something else and do 10 or 20 episodes of that. N- not not all the time. I mean, I'll, I'll have some other things sprinkled in, um, certainly. But th- that... It, that is a definite repeating pattern that I go through of sort of of minor obsession over one thing and, and just not being able to get enough of it and and downloading those manually and and if I were to if I were to tr- treat podcasts as I think they are expected to be treated uh which is you know more like a radio show or a a, a weekly TV show or something like that then I, I, w- I think I would just yeah automate it and then go through the cycle you know through through the playlist every, you know, start at the beginning of the week and go through your, your playlist and then you're done for that week. And over the weekend, all the new podcasts come through or, or through the week they come through and you listen to them. And, and I just, I never, I I just haven't done that, but I've never been a really big radio or TV person either. So there's, there's maybe there's something, some conditioning there, the, 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 the sort of Netflix syndrome, um, you know, of, of, of everything being watched in 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 sprints but i am a very sprint based person too so there's there's what i'm trying to say is that there's precedence for the the wonky way that i do things that said i do want to try fix underscore tags because as we've discovered my tagging process sometimes can be a little bit unique uh and maybe that's less than ideal for some people and i would like to fix that so i, I did take a look at my my pod write script, and frankly, I'm not 100% sure why the AUG file alone is getting double tagged, 
and I think it's got something to do with tags being carried over from one application to the next and then the aug ink doubling up on those tags. So two things I'm going to try is removing the tagging process from the aug file uh, processor from the thing that converts the flac from aug uh, the the flac to aug uh, and the other thing I'm going to try is possibly clearing the tags before tagging them so that may be the way that I end up going because it's one of those things where if I if I declare okay no aug files ever going to be tagged under this workflow then I had better have tags on all flac files that I'm using as the source and I don't know if I want to commit to that on a global scale so we'll see what happens keep keep me posted anyone who has interest in in podcast tags as to how my tags are being received or or maybe how they should change maybe it's time for the formatting of of GNU world order titles to finally change away from that horrible season x episode uh format that i imposed long long ago before i really thought that through maybe i should just start using numbers actual integers that can be incremented uh, each episode and beyond seasons um, the way that I think I think I think Dan from tilts said that long long ago just that he didn't understand why people would have seasons in a podcast and it's really so it is so arbitrary um, it's just it's just a nice little convention I guess Okay, so that's that's the listener feedback. That's some random thoughts from me about tagging, and eventually I will try fix underscore tags, and we can see what it does and see if it's useful and see how hard it is, really, to install. Won't that be cool to, to find out? I mean, I feel like it's a challenge, right? He says you won't be able to install it, so don't even try. Obviously, the first thing I want to do is try to install fix underscore tags. Okay, let's have a cup of coffee, and then we'll get back to the show and talk about the GNOME 3 desktop. Hopefully with a cup of coffee. The uh, coffee that I have here is different. It's unique. It's uh, it's new to me. I think they have it on the North Island as well. But I I had kind of fallen into sort of a, just a you know going to the grocery store, getting the default whatever, whichever one I've tried before, and sort of yeah, just kind of a, a rut, I guess. Maybe you, arguably you could say that. And uh, since I was on the South Island, uh, I decided why not mix it up a little bit and get something different. And so this one is Hummingbird Coffee Roasters, is the name of the of the coffee, and or the brand of the coffee, and it is oomph, O-O-M-P-H, exclamation mark. And interestingly, oomph, I find really, really pleasantly mild. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying I don't like strong coffee, or, or rich coffee, I guess would be a good word for it. I'm just saying, and, and you know this if you've, if you remember me raving about sawtooth mountain mud which by the way i I miss greatly still but um if i i do i I do tend to really like that smooth mild roast i think so i don't know if you're ever in new zealand and have an opportunity to go to the grocery store and get hummingbird roast uh hummingbird roastery the oomph um coffee is is quite good and kind of gotta love the name Okay, so I want to talk about GNOME 3 because, I, first of all, I haven't talked about it in a long time, and I feel like traditionally I have been a kind of down-on-GNOME kind of guy. And I, I, I say that uh, only because I probably because I because I'm hypersensitive to it myself. Because I my memory of GNOME keeps c- continues to be well, it's okay, but it's not great. Or, you know, if if we're talking about GNOME 2, really, I, I tend to think, well, I I would rather not use a desktop. I can't necessarily explain that myself. I, I don't remember exactly, or I, I don't, it's not even a case of memory. It's, it's more of a case of being able to put my finger on it. I don't 
know exactly why I never took to Gnome 2. I did use it in earnest for a, probably probably not a whole year to be honest, but for a little while when it very very early on some early edition of Ubuntu which was the the I was dual booting at the time Slackware and Ubuntu and if if there was something I just could not figure out on Slackware at at the time but I needed like a school paper was due or something like that I don't I don't remember if it was literally a school paper but just something that was due maybe for a client probably uh, I would I would switch over to Ubuntu and 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 get the job done right because that's what you have to do I didn't want to have to switch to a closed source operating system to get certain jobs done but I wanted I wanted that sort of emergency OS to bail me out if I couldn't figure something out on Slackware so I did use GNOME 2 for I don't know I don't remember why I, I installed Ubuntu rather than Kubuntu because I had a I remember I had a pen drive that that, that was I, I ordered it like and it had Kubuntu on it so I, I was using Kubuntu sometimes as well, but for whatever reason, I installed stock Ubuntu on the comp on on this this partition, and I would boot into it when necessary, and I would use it. And I just I, maybe I didn't use it enough to fall in love with GNOME 2. I don't know. It didn't work for me. I didn't I didn't like the structure of GNOME 2. And when GNOME 3 came out, I, I believe my review was quite positive. If if I remember correctly, I was quite excited about GNOME 3, especially in respect to how I felt about GNOME 2. And then I kind of forgot about GNOME 3. I kind of wandered away. And it's funny, because I mean, I, I went so far as to install, I think it was Fedora on a computer... At a, you know when I was working at um, this university or this uh, filmmaking institute, and I had a, a GNOME three box specifically in one of the editing suites that I frequently used because I felt well, GNOME three is there. It's it's certainly very attractive. It, it, a lot of people seem to to be quite positive to sort of like it's very intuitive, I guess, um, and so I should have that on there so I can get familiar with it. Which is a, a common thing that I do, I guess. I sort of force myself to use something that I maybe otherwise wouldn't use in order s that so that I may be able to give answers to people who ask. Because I, I really dislike when people ask me something about, especially Linux or open source, and, and I I have to tell them that I don't know because I don't actually use that thing. That's just an annoying answer to me. It's like, oh, I don't use the the thing that ever you know that 90% of what you're going to see online is about I don't use that because that's beneath me I'm too much of a power user that's kind of an annoying answer even if that's not what I'm saying to them I know deep down that's what I'm saying so I don't like to say that um I mean it's it's an honest answer so sometimes it does have to be said but I would rather just kind of be able to give give useful information when asked I think that's a that's a virtue in my book. So I used GNOME 3 on this, in this editing suite, or, or yeah, I think it was an editing suite. And, um, and, and yeah, I, I liked it, and I, had, I, I felt fine about it. And I, I just, in the past five years, I've just completely forgotten about that experience entirely. And so when I installed Red Hat Linux on my work laptop, kind of came as a surprise to me that I was familiar with GNOME 3, because I'd kind of forgotten, apparently, that I'd used it for, I don't know, half a day on a daily basis so many years ago. And and I've got to say, it was a little bit of a surprise to me that I that I liked it, because in my mind, I, I didn't, I wasn't a GNOME guy. I was a KDE guy. And, and I have to say, I'm still a KDE guy, but I'm also a GNOME 3 guy, um, half of the day at work, although lately, because all I have on me is a work laptop, I've been a GNOME 3 guy for the past uh, about, what, two weeks has been, it's been, I think, now? So that's kind of setting the scene, that I've actually been living in GNOME 3 for, okay, two weeks, that's not that long, but like I say, for half of each day for at least the past year, eh, six months maybe, let's call it six months, um, and so I've I've gotten a, a a perspective on GNOME 3 that I feel is worth 
worth kind of talking about. The good and the bad, you know, I, I kind of want to look at it very objectively. So first of all, let's talk about GNOME 3's look and feel. And I mean, you, 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 I don't think that there's really anybody out there who, who would argue the fact that GNOME 3 isn't very, very pretty. I mean, it really, really is. It is a nice looking desktop. When you look at GNOME 3, it looks like a modern, modern slick fancy desktop it just it really does it looks like the real deal you nobody would blink an eye looking at gnome 3 now that's not I, I don't want to misconstrue what i'm saying here that's not to that's not to compare it to anything else uh, on linux or otherwise i am simply saying gnome 3 when you look at it you think yes that is a modern computer interface it it comes across that way now keep in mind I am running GNOME 3 almost stock. I, I don't have any fancy tweaks or extensions installed. In fact, I had to uninstall a bunch of extensions to get to stock GNOME on RHEL 7. I think RHEL 8 has something closer to stock GNOME, but RHEL 7 was, was heavily modified to, uh, to actually mimic GNOME 2 in a lot of different ways. So I'm I'm running it as stock GNOME 3. And it looks nice. It looks great. It looks really, really, really slick. Uh, it is polished. It is easy to use, which I'll get into what that means in a little while. First, before we do that, let's talk a little bit about it, the, the way that they've structured it, which... Everyone says, well, GNOME 3 is melding UI concepts from the mobile space into the computer, on, onto the desktop. That's obviously what they're doing. And I gotta say, yeah, that's obviously what they're doing. <laughs> um, I didn't see it before. I didn't really see it. I, I kind of saw it, but then I didn't really see it. I mean, I, I, was, I was aware that they did seem to be encouraging kind of the the one task per screen workflow which which really annoys me which is a funny thing to say because people who use tiling desktop managers are frequently doing one task per screen not all the time obviously that's why they tile right because you've got several windows tiled onto your screen but there is that kind of ability a lot of times to to do one task per screen, like in Rat Poison. I mean, that's that's kind of the default, the the default for for that for that model. It's it's here's your screen, do something, and when you launch a new task, it's going to take over a new screen. So it's funny that GNOME three doing it would cause people to raise an eyebrow because I mean it's it's not completely new, even though the concept of a full screen window is not a new a new concept, but now that I, I see more of GNOME 3's development, and I'm seeing them, I'm seeing three, you know, much farther down the the the, the path than than they were back when I was originally using it, which is really when it first came out. I see that yeah, they're they're totally making the desktop into a mobile experience, which makes no sense to me as a user right now because my none of my laptops have ever had touch screens. I've never had a laptop with a touchscreen before, and and a lot of the conventions that they seem to be doing just don't really compute for me. And, and in fact, many of them are probably going way over my head. I'm probably not even noticing some of them. But I mean, certainly the latest release, 3.32-ish, um, has an on-screen keyboard capability, which I mean, I'm sure all of them do. But from what I understand, it's a little bit more integrated. So there there are little things here and there that you just think, okay, well, this is obviously them taking what we've learned, good or bad, from the mobile space and applying it to the desktop, which seems really backwards to a lot of people because in many ways the mobile experience is the dumbed-down version. So putting that onto your, your desktop, the thing that you are probably using because you can't use the mobile dumbed-down interface, it doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense. And yet, it works. It's one of those things where 
it, it isn't they're not just taking the mobile experience and slapping it on the desktop they are adapting it to the desktop and they adapt it quite well and seeing that i do kind of get a little bit nervous about the kde experience the kde experience is my preferred experience it is a very traditional kind of this is exactly what a desktop is and there's not a whole lot of allowance for for well what would happen if we did just take this desktop and put it onto a mobile screen. I don't like to think of that, first of all, because I don't like touchscreens. And I don't think they're very accessible. I don't think they're very user-friendly. I, I really dislike touchscreens as an interface. So the idea of, of using a desktop on a, a, a touchscreen doesn't appeal to me, but the idea of having a desktop on a touchscreen does sounds like I've just contradicted myself, but think about it this way. If I'm stuck with a touch screen, then I'd rather have a full desktop than saying, oh, I'm going to use a touch screen, so give me some dumbed down interface whereby I cannot do anything useful except click on YouTube links and uh, whatever else people do. I, I guess whatever mobile game is popular right now. So I think the the effort to to marry the mobile and the desktop interfaces is actually quite admirable. I think they're doing it really, really well on GNOME, and, and I do hope that other desktops take heed, because I think it's going to be important at some point. I mean, it's probably already important. I don't know, but I mean, if you have a Chromebook and you're running Crouton or whatever, you know, would would GNOME be easier? I, I guess, I think Chromebooks have touchscreens, right? I think they do. Some of them do, I'm sure. So would 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 GNOME then be easier to use with a touchscreen interface? Probably. It would probably be easier than than KDE, just, just because of the way some of the things that GNOME does. And here's one of them, actually. And and I know this sort of thing from, from way back when, when I was trying to run way too many applications on my N800, my Nokia N800. There, there are things on the desktop interface that are simply really small. And they, they, they assume that you are using a mouse pointer, a, 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 a cursor, with, you know, what, uh, maybe a five pixel radius. I mean, that's kind of like your, your target area sometimes. Your finger's just not going to do it. It's not going to hit that one little that one little point. And the Nokia N800 certainly tried to solve that with a stylus. And that was the answer to to these these small interfaces on a really small screen. And it didn't work. It was not a pleasant experience. The, 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 the better experience was always the applications that had been modified to make things finger-sized. That was just the better experience. And I'm assuming that's probably going to be true for most mobile experiences, most touchscreen experiences. Things have to be finger-sized. Your targets need to be big, and they need to be somewhat isolated so that you're not accidentally hitting one thing when you meant to hit another. So here's one example of that. And this is an interesting example because of what else it betrays. But the, the convention in the GNOME 3 desktop, again, no extensions installed, no GNOME tweaks uh, activated is if you want to make a window full screen, like actually take up the entire screen, you click on that window and you drag it to the top of the screen. And it detects that it has hit an edge and it expands to the full size of the screen. And it, it occurred to me that that's not only very friendly for mobile stuff, because you don't have to target a little tiny little button up in the right hand corner that may be right next to minimize or close, which, believe me, it gets really annoying when you're trying to maximize something and accidentally close it, or, or even just minimize it. So you've got this, this very convenient kind of action of, okay, well, you don't have to hit a target. You just Your target is the whole window. You drag it up to the top of the, 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 win, the screen, which you can't miss, and it expands. Done. Un if you want to unexpand it, you drag it away from the top of the screen. It's as simple as that. It's a really beautiful, elegant kind of solution to something that was a little bit clumsy on a touchscreen. Now, was it ever clumsy on the desktop? No, not at all. Then again, do I ever use it on the desktop? No, not at all. I bind it to a keyboard shortcut. 
So it's 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 a really good example of something that that technically speaking I very rarely used anyway. And and probably can adapt to the the change. But beyond all of that, it's also if you think about the the idea that has been around for some time and I don't feel like anyone's ever gotten it before or really really achieved it yet. Um, the the idea of gestures, right? There are a couple of different desktops and plugins and things like that that would try to integrate gestures into your workflow. You could do certain gestures with your mouse or certain gestures with your fingers on the touchpad or whatever, and it would it would trigger something. And I I've played around with some of those before, some of the plugins, and just never really never really took to it. Never really thought, okay, well. I'll start using this gesture then to launch, you know, my 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 application search bar or whatever that's called, the run or K run or whatever you call it in other desktops. Um, just never really got got the whole gesture thing down. And and I know that some some laptops have fancy gestures that you're supposed to be able to do with with the mouse pad, the the touchpad. Never never really got into that. And I know some people did. I don't I don't think I don't think everyone did. I think it's still kind of a, a subset of users who are, who kind of decided that that was going to be their power user move is to use gestures or whatever. But but if you really think about the, this action of, okay, take your window, drag it to the top of the screen, that's a gesture, right? Because it's, I mean, it is and it isn't, but it, it is, right? I mean, the, the act of dragging this one target to the to a specific place on your screen and having a result that's really just an upward swipe, essentially. And so it's kind of interesting that that by saying, well, we're not going to use a button for this. We're gonna we're gonna tell people to do an action. GNOME 3 has kind of managed possibly putting themselves into a very unique space with maybe one or two other applications. They they've actually managed to integrate gestures into into the workflow. Now, having said that, do I use it? No, again, I don't. I actually just I, I've already I've bound it to um, to uh, super page up is nope. Sorry, super pa um, arrow up is what I've bound it to. Sorry, I couldn't think it. I had to do it. Yep, uh, super arrow up goes full screen. Arrow down uh, returns it to its to its previous state. So I don't use the gestures, but I do recognize that, that that's there, and you could use it, and that's a gesture. Another nice thing, they've got um, uh, something that I've been calling for for ages, which is a standard place for dialog boxes. When you're in an application and you open a file or save a file or whatever, um, the dialog box for that application sort of rolls out of the top bar of the, of the application you're in. Now, I have a minor complaint about that, which is that you cannot then grab that dialog box and move it out of the way when you want to refer to something on screen. That's annoying, and that seems like a real UX problem. That 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 is not a good experience. That is a poor experience. That said, the predictability of where do I look when a dialog box is going to appear? Well, just find the top of the window and look down and that's it there's your dialog box it's beautiful it's a beautiful consistency consistency that i i really really appreciate and in fact i would say overall there's a lot of consistency in gnome 3 which is is a real feat i really honestly feel like that's that's something that they have achieved that that has been a long time coming i think that a lot of desktops out there linux and otherwise have have failed to achieve a real sense of consistency and gnome 3 has a lot of that so gnome 3 in addition to being very pretty and being very sort of well designed it is also what what i would say um functional and i mean that slightly pejoratively it is a functional desktop, meaning that there's really one way to do any given task. Sometimes not even, not even that. Um, 
this for me is a problem for other people is a feature so it's it's difficult to complain about it because I, I recognize why they do this I recognize that some people think that this is better design and it's just its opinion I guess but um, if you if you want to do something on the GNOME desktop, it, there really is, generally speaking, one way to do it, and that's all you get. If you want more ways to do something, maybe there's a GNOME extension for you. Maybe not. I haven't really looked into it. I've, I've really been concentrating on just trying to get used to the stock GNOME experience, which which I feel like I'm I'm pretty close to sort of definitely sort of having down, and now I feel like I, I get it. But if you if you want to do, I mean really let let's say you want to extract a zip file there there's exactly one way to do that you you right click on the thing or you well okay so there's not exactly one way there's there's one basic way to do it you right click on it and and select um extract or something like that or or open in archive manager i think is what it's what it says or you can double click on it and then it opens in archive manager so those are the two ways to to enter the archive manager, I guess. And and I guess that's what I mean by one way. The way that you're going to get files out of an archive is you're going to open it up in archive manager and then you're going to drag the files that you want out of the archive manager into your file your into your file manager. And that's 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 what they provide you. Now compare that to KDE and you've got to right click extract, you've got to right click extract to to a certain specific to a to a target, you can you can tell it where to go. You can do um, extract to a subfolder, extract here. You can open up in ARC, the archive manager. That's probably it. But that's that's a pretty healthy. That's pretty good. That's a, that's a couple of different ways to do to do that action. And on GNOME, that sort of thing. I mean, this is just one example about archives. It's pretty arbitrary. There are. I'm sure lots of other examples that I could try to think of, but but that's the one that comes to mind. And just overall, there's I would say that there were fewer power user features in GNOME. Uh, there are they are there. I mean, if you if you consider keyboard shortcuts a power user move, which I kind of do because I don't see I don't know many people using lots of keyboard shortcuts, so I, I feel like that's probably a power user feature. Um, you don't get you don't get lots of little options, you know. I mean, KDE, th uh, KDE. Um, uh, one of the common complaints about KDE is that it's got a lot of options. So the fact that GNOME 3 does not have a lot of options is kind of comparatively self-evident. If you look at GNOME 3 and, and what you can change about it, there's not a whole lot there. Can't really change the position of the clock, for instance. You you, you can't change the type of clock. You can't add to the menu, as far as I know. I mean, I'm sure there's a way. I'm sure there's a way to, to customize your right-click menu in some some manner, but I don't know what it is. Um, I don't... Off the top of my head, I don't think you can go into the file manager and just type in a URI, uh, URI for instance. I don't think that's possible. You know, there's just lots of things that I get used to in KDE just aren't there on GNOME 3, and there's frequently a way around it. I mean, there's... For instance, if I want to SSH graphically into something, I can go to GNOME File Manager and go to the network, and then down at the bottom of that window, I think there's something that says connect to remote host or something like that. So there are definitely ways to get things done that I'm missing from KDE, but I feel like the convenience of having everything right there no matter where I am, is is definitely missing within GNOME. It's like, if you want a feature, you can probably find it, but you have to find, you know, that, that feature exists in one place. Whereas in KDE, that feature exists in every other right-click right -click menu that you ever bring up. And to the point of sometimes I look at it and I think, why would, that, why would I ever want to do that thing from this location? Until one day I want to do that thing from that location, and then it all makes sense. In general, I guess GNOME sometimes, if you you know, if we were we were thinking about it in this way, we, GNOME sometimes drives me to the terminal. There are things that I just I can't be bothered. I just think I can't believe it would take me five clicks to do that one thing. 
I'm just going to do it in the terminal because it's easier. Whereas KDE tended to supplement the terminal, and, and there were there was a week or something where I decided, okay, I'm not going to go to the terminal for for everyday tasks. This was on KDE. I'm not going to go to the terminal. I'm going to do everything in, in KDE. And you'd think that eventually that would break down, and surprisingly few times did that ever break down. I challenge you, in fact, use KDE and try to avoid the terminal. It, it's shockingly it's, it's shockingly a possible uh, challenge. You can you can do lots of things in KDE that you you wouldn't have ever thought. I mean, for me, Git interactions would be the 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 obvious deal breaker that would that would drive me into the terminal but KDE actually has a lot of git integration in dolphin if you you have to activate it but i mean it's it's totally there you can add files uh, you can pull you can update you can push you can make commits and all that stuff git remove everything that you'd want to do in a terminal you can do in in dolphin so yeah there's there's Quite a difference there. KDE is really a, a GUI for a, a terminal in a way, and GNOME definitely is not. GNOME doesn't really let you customize it all that much. There are GNOME extensions, and I've had good and bad experiences with GNOME extensions. I've, I've tried some of them, and some of them would just sort of break everything, and others would appear to work. Others sort of would appear to install, but didn't really work. So yeah, I, I'm not sure how I feel about GNOME extensions yet. The, they're, they're, they've got this very slick, cool model of where you you actually use your web browser. You have to install a, an extension in your web browser. But once you do, you can go to, I don't know, gnomelook.org or, or gnome extensions, whatever, and and you can install extensions on your desktop from your web browser. It's pretty magical. Uh, that said, I just I haven't really been using GNOME extensions. And then I think the biggest sort of embarrassment of, of GNOME as as a project is the the tweaks, the the fact that tweaks exists. GNOME tweaks. GNOME tweaks is sort of the control panel that GNOME forgot to ship. It's it's really I feel like it's just one of the most embarrassing things. I don't know why I feel that way. I just feel like it's this sort of slapdash amalgamation of of stuff that GNOME should have had and just doesn't ship. And you just think, why would you not ship this? This is obviously something that should exist because it's in GNOME Tweaks, so you should have an option for that on your desktop because you know people are looking for it. And I guess instead of being embarrassed by it, I should maybe just say, well, look, this is great. This is open source. You don't ship something with your desktop, and a tweak application will appear to pick up the slack. But for some reason, I don't know what it is. It's just I feel like GNOME really should take the tweaks <laughs> application and put it into one button, and that button would be called Advanced, and there's all your advanced configuration. And I don't even remember exactly what Tweaks has in it now. I mean, I know that it has like the three-button hack, right? Where, where in the upper right corner you have the close and the uh, the full screen and the minimize buttons, which apparently, yeah, doesn't that doesn't exist on stock GNOME. You, it's also got, I think, dark themes, which I don't think the normal one does. So I think that is actually what I'm. I am using GNOME Tweaks for that. I'm using a dark theme. Because so I cannot use a light theme. That's just ridiculous. It's, that's too far. Um, removing icons from your desktop. Little little things like that. Changing fonts. Changing system fonts. Yeah, there's a lot in here that you're just, you, you just think, how can that not be... How can that not be an option in GNOME? How can it only exist in Tweaks? Maybe it's just the name GNOME Tweaks. Maybe I just I feel like Tweaks makes it sound a little bit too too unstable, whereas if it was GNOME advanced settings, maybe that would be a little bit more palatable to me, but I, I do feel like GNOME Tweaks is just a little bit, so it's taking it too far, um, or not far enough, I guess, as the case may be. 
now I'm feeling I feel like I've I've ended on a bunch of negative things like the critiques of GNOME and and actually I'm not trying to c critique GNOME I'm I'm trying to actually just highlight that they've made certain choices that they've made choices that they believe refine their desktop and I I can't argue with that I have to say that when I when I'm using GNOME three I just think that it's just about the cleanest smoothest experience you could ever want from a desktop of on, on any operating system i just think it is it is it is the desktop that should that should represent what a desktop is and i guess in in a weird way that's exactly what it does it it is the it is kind of the quintessential desktop now that doesn't mean it is the ultimate desktop i'm just saying if you wanted the most desktopiest desktop, then it would be GNOME 3, because it, it does exactly what you would think a, a computer desktop should do, but it goes it goes somehow beyond that, which seems counter to what I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm trying to say it does everything and nothing more than what a desktop should do, and yet it does that in such a way that it 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 takes modern interfaces and melds them into this this one gnome desktop so you've got these these familiar conventions from your mobile phone or your tablet or whatever you're using and you go back to your computer and that that's sort of it's still there that sort of feel of okay i need to to swipe whatever swiping means whether it's a super page up or a super page down on your computer or whether it's i don't know three finger does that work? Three fingers? No, four fingers? I don't know. Some kind of fancy touchpad thing, or moving your mouse into the upper left corner and then going over to the right-hand screen and finding all your little desktops. So you swipe to find your different workspaces, which, you know, again, I mean, that's that's one of those things that if you think about it, workspaces, like Linux desktops have had that for ages, and really, at least on an Android phone, um, the, the people use it, I think, pretty much all the time. I don't think anyone has any... I don't think anyone. I think don't, don't people use that on an Android phone? Like, don't they swipe to get to a different? Maybe I'm making that up. I don't know. Um, anyway, workspaces are are fine on GNOME three, and they are very integrated and they're very nice because you've got these full screen applications half the time. And so to go back over to your, you know, your file manager, you you go to a different workspace, and it, and it's all kind of just very. I don't know. It feels very natural and integrated and consistent, intuitive. It's just it's it's a perfect desktop. Now the the again the problem, lest I come across as someone who has switched completely from one thing to the other, the the problem here is that you don't always want the perfect desktop, right? Sometimes you want to go out into your shed or your garage, and and put your car up on cinder blocks. Is that what people do? And open the hood? I don't know. I'm I'm losing track of my analogy here because I don't know enough about what people do in garages, but I imagine you would go out there and and work on stuff. You know, I've seen pictures of Pokey. Um, Pokey is a guy on Dev You Random podcast, and I've seen pictures of his garage, his workshop, and it's just, you know, it's it's the quintessential garage workshop. It's, it's benches and tools and power tools and electrical wiring and stuff like that. So sometimes you want that, right? And so, so you, you fall back on KDE or Fluxbox or i3 or whatever your whatever thing you 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 prefer whatever toolbox you you really prefer but but sometimes you want the 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 slick sort of just sort of swim lanes of gnome 3 and that's that's i think where it excels it it does it knows exactly what you want to do at your most sort of at your most boring state and and it provides you for everything that you need for that and it doesn't give you anything more it doesn't encourage you to seek out anything more it gives you exactly what you need and i i have to say as someone who's using it at work for um you know you could argue it's boring stuff but i mean in a way it is it's it's not boring it's just very focused right i know exactly what i want to do and and i've figured out how in gnome 3 to make to make doing that a smooth process. You can do that on KDE, you can do that on Fluxbox, you can do it on whatever. But in GNOME, it's there, 
it looks good, and if you meld with it correctly, it becomes very fluid and kind of comfortable. And by gosh, it's it's just a beautiful thing. It's a work of art, and it's one of those things that I think Linux users ought to be proud of, actually. I think we should really be really be quite proud of the GNOME desktop achievement. Um, I know a lot of people got really annoyed at GNOME 3 for being GNOME 3, and I've got to say... I think it is I think it is exactly what the Linux desktop really really needed. It is is a beautiful thing and and if what everyone is saying comes true and that is that every other OS out there is going to drop desktop support and there's not going to be a desktop anymore. I think that if we're left with GNOME 3, if that's the last man standing, I think we're in a great place. So thanks GNOME 3 developers. I appreciate it. And thank you, dear listener for joining me on this week's episode. I'll talk to you next time. listening to the GNU World Order AUGcast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AUGcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. is now part of and registered in your subconscious mind. Every time you say, see, hear, or think. Bob? That's your key phrase. It will trigger the entire message without your being aware of it.